The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to fapc.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Listen now for God's word to you. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. We are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. According to 2 Corinthians, faith changes a person's way of seeing. It, it equips a body with a new set of lenses. Faith teaches us to view the world and each other through the eyes of Christ. Now that sounds good, kind of cool, but what does it really mean? Well, the good book explains, when Christ looks at the world, he's not repulsed by the messes humans have made and the conflicts we've stirred up. Christ does not hold our trespasses against us. Instead, when Christ looks at the world, he sees people in need of reconciliation, in need of forgiveness and healing, justice and love. Christ calls us to participate in this sacred work, to speak reconciling words to the world. Christ bids us become ambassadors for God. Now, right now, this, uh, this particular line of work is in great demand. Looking out the church's clear glass doors, it's easy to spot places where the world needs a reconciling word. Today, I want to point to three such places. I want to make three observations that I think Christ ambassadors ought to have on their radar screens. Observation number one. The last 15 months have been an incredibly challenging season for the human family. Brilliant, right? Observation number one is totally unoriginal. Still, it needs saying. 
to look out our door is to see a world scarred by a pandemic, a pandemic that is not over. Yes, vaccines have been remarkably successful. In, in many parts of this country and the world, we are beginning to attain herd immunity levels. And yet we all know that there are billions of more shots that need to be given and millions of more people who will need care and support over the next two years. As we go about that important work, and as we return to more normal rhythms of life and social interaction here in New York and around the world, we will re-engage as different people. Having traversed the last year, many of us carry heavy memories and new worries in our hearts. As the world emerges from the shroud of COVID, we're gonna find ourselves grappling with these concerns. Psychologists agree. They point out that the human family has, has spent the past year stuffing all sorts of intense emotions into their psychic rucksacks. God's ambassadors are gonna to need to remember this. As we reemerge, as we re-engage, these intense emotions are going to be on display. And we are going to need to treat each other, I think, with an extra dose of gentleness. This, I suspect, is going to present a serious challenge for our moral muscles. Why? Observation number two. We are still an exceptionally divided people. Again, this is not a unique insight. And again, it bears repeating. To look out the clear glass doors of our church is to see a culture riven by partisan divides, racial tensions, and fiery disagreements over just about every policy matter under the sun. All this rancor has put us in a persistently cranky state. What can Christians possibly do to help disrupt the cycles of anger and vitriol that seem to hold our society in their thrall? Today's passage offers, I believe, a map to answering this question. In the face of conflict, the Apostle Paul counsels the Corinthians to be like Christ. Do not hold people's trespasses against them. Be ambassadors for God, outspoken emissaries for reconciliation. Do we trust this counsel? Or does Paul's, or do Paul's words seem inadequate to the enormous chasms that yawn between us and others? Isn't this the problem with religion? Preachers peddle idealistic, Jesus-branded action plans that don't really work, that never gain traction, not in the real world. Maybe. But before throwing in the towel, I would direct you to a piece written this week by retiring New York Times editorial columnist Frank Bruni. It's entitled, Ted Cruz, I'm Sorry. 
Bruni is a liberal political thinker who over recent years has been strongly critical of Senator Ted Cruz. During this time, Bruni, by his own admission, moved from offering reasoned criticism of the senator to out-and-out name-calling and demagoguery. In this week's column, Bruni apologizes for swimming in the snide tide. He doesn't stop there. Bruni widens his focus to make the following comment. I continue to worry about the degree to which I and other journalists, opinion writers especially, have contributed to the dynamics which we decry. The toxic tenor of American discourse, the furious pitch of American politics, the volume and vitriol of it all. Bruni's column is a strikingly personal and honest piece of writing. He criticizes his own habits, and he laments the way in which we have, in recent years, conducted ourselves as a nation in the public square, on social media, and with family and friends. His column is a legit mea culpa. It's an olive branch a powerful example of what a real step toward reconciliation looks like. Bruni's op-ed also points us toward observation number three. We continue to have a real problem in this society with truth. In confessing the sins of opinion writers, including his own, Bruni remarks, I worry, too, about how frequently we shove ambivalence and ambiguity aside. Ambivalence and ambiguity aren't necessarily signs of weakness or sins of indecision. They can be apt responses to events that we don't yet understand, with outcomes that we can't predict. I agree. Our society is divided in part because we struggle with truth and are uncomfortable with ambiguity. In contemporary America, we often cannot agree on basic facts, and some in this society peddle outright lies as truth. Others act as if reality ought to conform to what they want to be true, Many of us speak as if we have cornered the market on truth. To do this, to reinforce our arguments and give heft to our moral salvos, we shrink truth, we simplify it, we prune away aspects of complex situations that do not support our own ends. In the righteous drive to make points and win arguments, we sweep ambiguities under the carpet. These inconvenient ambiguities and complexities often reveal truth to be much more nuanced than we want it to be. In other words, all truth, and maybe even most truth, does not come delivered as a neat black and white binary package. 
Christianity has long recognized this. Instead of picking one gospel account to convey the true story of Jesus, the early church chose four different voices, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to describe Christ to the world. In writing creeds, early theologians made the outlandish argument that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. Now, these bishops knew that their percentages did not add up. They were not engaging in binary logic, an either-or proposition. They realized that the truth of who Christ was had to be expressed as poetry, as mystery, as art. As a pastor, I've long wondered if artistic approaches to truth are inherently more honest, more accurate, more truthful in describing the human condition than the reductionistic statements that have become the meat and potatoes of contemporary political debate. In boiling away ambiguity, to get to simplicity, to craft a pithy, hard-hitting slogan, we sacrifice truth, real truth, truth that honors the depth and complexity of human existence. And that is something we do all the time. To make the most powerful arguments our society, left, right, and center, kicks ambiguity to the curb. Ask the Southern Baptists all this past week. They've been arguing about this very thing. In electing a new president, they booed opposing candidates. Our entire society is in the same boat. Amped up with righteous anger, we bury complexity and refuse to admit that our opponents might have even an ounce of truth or decency on their side. Last week, I watched the movie Nomadland. The film has won buckets of awards, including Best Picture, Best Director for Chloe Zhao, Best Actress for Frances McDormand at this year's Academy Awards. It is, I think, deserving of all this praise. Nomadland paints the portrait of a woman, Fern, who after losing her husband to cancer, leaves her home and drifts across the Western United States in a van. On the road, Fran, uh, Fern joins a river of migrating people seeking employment in the gig economy. One month she's sorting potatoes in Idaho, the next packing boxes for Amazon in Nevada, the next waiting tables in South Dakota. Along the way, Fern meets and befriends other nomads. These fellow travelers are also scrambling for, for money, for health care, for dignity, for ways to sustain their lives. They prove to be remarkably frugal, road-wise people, and they are genuinely kind to each other. There's probably a reason for this. As the movie unfolds, you realize that most of the people you meet in Nomadland have experienced personal trauma 
themselves. Some of these souls are more broken than others. As you follow Fern through this landscape, the the director often allows you to watch her in silence. She gives viewers lots of space to contemplate what they are seeing and to draw their own conclusions. This space, this lack of lecturing, results in a movie that people have been interpreting in very different ways. If you read reviews of Nomadland, you will quickly discover that critics have all sorts of different takes on the film. One describes the movie as a meditation on grief. Another as a riff on corporate greed. Some see the film as a sort of poetic tribute to personal freedom. One reviewer describes it as a portrait of society's outsiders, and another calls it a rumination on the impulse to leave society in the dust. So what is it? Is the film a critique of the conditions in Amazon warehouses? Is it a portrait of a mental health crisis? Is it an examination of poverty in America? Is it an elegy to freedom and the open road? Is it a buddy film? Is it a romance? The answer, I think, is that Nomadland is all of these things and it resists being any one of these things. The best reviews describe Nomadland as layered, as offering multiple impressions of America, as a meandering tour of a foreign land. I found the film's meandering way to be sort of profound. By the time the movie was over, I I did not have a prescription in my head for fixing Fern. I wasn't even sure Fern needed or wanted to be fixed. Instead, I simply found myself caring about her. The brilliance of Nomadland is that it allowed me to see Fern as someone deserving both respect and empathy, and not as a pawn or a pitiable waif or a one-dimensional cardboard cutout, a stand-in for a larger political narrative explaining what's wrong or right about America. America and Fern both seem more complicated than any reduction like that. And consequently, this movie seemed true. After talking about truth in his column, Ted Cruz, I'm sorry, Frank Bruni concludes by considering the importance of empathy. Yes, he remarks, I know people are generally not clamoring to read op-ed pieces advocating empathy for the other. It's not an approach to journalism, Bruni rightly observes, that will generate more all-important clicks. And yet, it may be the most critical thing our society has lost during this protracted season swimming in the snide 
tide. Not counting our trespasses against us, says the Apostle Paul, Christ entrusted the message of reconciliation to us. My friends, as we emerge from this pandemic, I believe God is giving the church something important to say and something equally important to do. It is time, I believe, for a season of empathy. This past week, I was chatting with folk who were waiting in line for a midday meal at our program, A Place at the Table, when I caught sight of a homeless fellow who's a frequent participant in worship and a friend of this church. Our friend looked like he'd been having a hard day. He'd injured his shoulder, his arm was in a sling, but the sling's straps were all twisted around and tucked on the wrong sides of his shirt. It it looked like the device was doing him more harm than good. The next time I caught sight of the fellow, a few minutes later though, he was sitting on the steps of the church, his sling looked in good shape, and he was eating a meal. He told me that two members from Team FAPC had sorted the sling out and helped him get a lunch tray. God, says the good book, has entrusted the message of reconciliation to us. We are ambassadors for Christ. In many ways, the view from the corner of 5th and 55th as we head into the summer of 2021 is a sober one. This pandemic is not done. There is still so much to be addressed in this city, in this country, and in places across the globe. And yet, in many ways, the view one gets on the street right outside our church is also a hopeful one. In this, our calling seems remarkably clear. The spirit of nose is the spirit of God is, is pressing our nose to the clear glass, pointing and saying, "Look, there are people to feed. There are wounds to heal. There are hands to hold. There are slings to straighten. There is empathy to offer. There is love to share. You know what to do." Be ambassadors for God. And that, my friends, is the view from here. May God bless you, my friends, with the rhythms of summer. As you seek Sabbath and new possibilities, as you work to renew relationships and engage the world, have courage. Hold fast to what is good. Do not return evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord. Amen.